Welcome to the Thrive Church weekly message. We hope that you enjoy this podcast from Pastor Jared Van Burkle, and we hope that it blesses you. For any more information on this sermon or any additional resources, visit us at thrivechurch.co.nz. It's good to be speaking here this morning. This was a fun message to put together because I, I kept talking to God in my, in my devotional times with Him, going, God, what are you wanting to say to Thrive? And he would just keep saying to me, I don't really want to talk about that right now. Um, I'd be like, well, I really do. He goes, no, nah, let's just spend time together. I'm like, ah, oh, I feel like we've done that. Like I've been in this devotion for about 30 seconds. Let's get some work done. And uh, come on, man, I'm on a to-do list. You might have all the time in creation, but I've got a time frame I'm working in. And so I had these continual conversations. So I'd have this nice time in his presence. And then I'd say, God, oh, what do you want? Just real quick, Lord, what do you want to say to the church? What do you want to say to your family? You go, oh, I don't want to talk about that right now. Oh, I was like, God, you've been quite painful. Um, and then at staff, Glenn was praying and speaking on Sunday was one of the furthest things from my mind. And then as Glenn was praying, uh, something just dropped into my spirit. And I was like, oh, that's what God wants to say to the church this morning. So thanks for that awesome prayer you prayed on Tuesday, Glenn. Now I have a word to share. So if you're taking notes this morning, it might be helpful to take notes if you're a note taker because I'm going to be moving around a little bit and so you'll need notes to be able to try and keep track of what I'm actually saying. So the title of my message this morning is called A Life Poured Out. A Life Poured Out. My message this morning is brought to you by Hot Water and Lemon from Joe's Garage. The healthy man's choice. They're free. Let's be real. Okay. So I want to touch base on, on a few things this morning with having our lives poured out for God. But uh, who was here when Kevin Forlong spoke last Sunday? Oh, such a good word. And who was here at Team Thrive? Who came to Team Thrive? Oh my gosh, the atmosphere was just electric. They just, I don't know about you guys, I just find that those things are just building and building more unity, more heart, more purpose, more momentum. Um, They're a lot of fun. So Kevin said two things. The first thing he said was, you know, when preachers get up, they like to preach something before they start their message. So I feel like now that, because he's a bit of an apostolic voice into our church, uh, I've got permission to preach twice today, so that'll be good. Um, And then the other thing that he said is, you know, I, I want Thrive to be believing every week for a certain amount of people to come into salvation with Jesus Christ, to have their lives set free, to be healed, to be delivered, to be made whole by the presence of God. And in Planet Shakers, throughout the life of a week in their family, they have nearly 300 people come into relationship with God every week, which is amazing. I mean, if we were doing that, we'd have North Canterbury totally set free I'm not great with numbers, so I'm going to say, I don't know, by Tuesday. Um, So that's awesome. We're nearly done. Yeah, it should be so good. Um, Okay, so I want to touch base on a few things, and we'll just start. Let's go, let's go. I was heading off to Israel the other day. Anything this year to me is the other day. And I was heading off there, and I got a message from Blair Harris. He texted me saying, hey, man, I really feel like God is going to speak to you while you're away. And I hadn't had any prophetic words given to me. And I didn't really have a great sense as to why I was going, other than the fact that God was going to do something. And when it happened, then I would know what it was. Um, so I said, I'll call Blair. What specifically is he going to tell me? Because if you can tell me now, then when he tells me, then I'll be paying attention. And so Blair messaged back going, oh, Okay, I'll have to think on that for a while. And then a few days later, he messaged me again saying, hey, so God's really going to speak to you about loving kids. 
And I thought, oh, that's cool. I thought we would, you know, do something different. But, you know, I'm a kids director, so that's really cool. That'll be helpful. Anyway, so I'm over there having this great time. And on one of the last days, uh, I'm sitting down having breakfast, and I've pretty much forgotten already about Blair's message. I've got attention span that's just like a squirrel's. Okay, so I'm sitting there having breakfast with this lady and she's in her mid-50s or late-60s, somewhere in that demographic. And she starts telling me that when she was eight years old, she started running revival meetings in her primary school. And as she started talking, I could feel the Holy Spirit inside me beginning to stir up and like this wave of presence come over me. It's like the hairs on the back of my neck standing up and I'm like, oh, I instantly remember Blair's text. I'm like, this is the moment. This is the moment where the person who lives in the same city as me in New Zealand, I'm on the other side of the world with and now finally having a conversation with her. We had to go all the way over there to meet someone that lived down the road. Um, That's fun, God. I love the way you work. Okay. And so she started telling me that what happened was somebody, when she was eight, bought her a finger puppet set. And they taught her how to do a puppet show explaining that God sent his one and only son to the earth that was incredibly broken and full of sin. And that Jesus died for the world and came back to life again. And whoever would believe on Jesus, give their life to him, wouldn't perish, but would have everlasting life. And if that's the first time you've heard that, then you're going to have an opportunity at the end of the service to do that exact thing of giving your life to Jesus and go, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you to set me free. I need the victory that you won over death to be real in my life. I feel like I've been living a shell of my potential and I need your breath of life to fill me. I want to give myself to you. So anyway... She, she started to go around her primary school. She said, this is what I would do. I would walk around. I would find all the kids that were lonely, eating lunch by themselves, that kid that was awkward or the kid that would get picked on, and I would go along and just say, hey, come with me. Hey, come with me. And I would walk through the school saying, hey, come with me. And this group of kids would then follow me, and I would go to the playground. I would sit down. I'd put on my finger puppets. I'd do like a five-minute puppet show. And then I would say, hey, who wants to give their life to Jesus? Close your eyes, bow your heads, raise your hand. And I would lead the kids at school into a relationship with Jesus. And, and I loved it because that, that's our heart for every single person in this church family is to have a radical experience with the love of God and then to take that radical experience with the love of God and invite other people into the same experience. Whether you're eight years old or 88 years old, that's the heartbeat of this church, is to see a community transformed. And I love kids' ministry. And what, this is what people say in, in kids' ministry. This is what they tell you. Okay, I've done kids' ministry for a long time. This is what everybody says. Oh, kids' ministry is great. You, you're sowing seeds. You're sowing seeds, and, and that's a good thing. In years from now, you're going to start to see some of the fruit of, of the seeds that you've sown. And that's 100% true, and it's one half of the coin. The, the other half of the coin is that you're working with kids that are filled with the presence of God, have got a mission on their life. They were born for such a time as this, not for 20 years from now. And they're not just to be carriers of seed, they'll be to be sowers and harvesters themselves. And I love it. And so she then connected me in with a man who's traveling through New Zealand at the moment. I went and caught up with him on Thursday night. He's a senior pastor with a vision to see a million children in New Zealand come into relationship with Jesus. And so he was telling me about his church. He said, I'm the senior pastor of a church. And we only had two children in our kids' ministry. 
And I thought, this isn't good enough. And God began to speak to me about His heart for the children of this nation, for the souls that don't know. So He said, I trained up some young people to preach. And when it time for the preaching, they would take over the church and I would go out and I'd run the kids' ministry with the two children. And the whole church would see the value that I was placing on kids. By the end of the term, our two children had grown to 60 kids. And we were busting kids and picking them up. We had families coming in and began to set our church on fire. So I just want to share, as we're looking at reaching 10,000 in our community, if you feel like you're coming to church and you go, man, I, I, I warm this seat better than anybody. Like my seat has got the nice wee indent on my miraculous form, fearfully and wonderfully made. But if you wanna do more than that and you're not currently doing something that you feel is changing the world, then come see me and I'm gonna train you, help you, teach you, inspire you to reach a generation, to reach a generation, okay? Because I wanna see 10,000 people coming in from eight years to 88 years. So if you're doing nothing, I got something of internal value that you can get started in next week. Awesome. Okay, so there I am, I'm in Israel and I'm having a whole lot of fun with all these pastors and leaders from New Zealand. There's 120 of them. 80 of them spoke English and the rest spoke Brazilian or Portuguese because that's actually what they speak. Um, please, I didn't ask them if they spoke Brazilian. That would have been lame. Uh, and we're doing these cool things, seeing these different spaces. And I went and stood on Mount Nebo, which is where Moses stood after he led the Israelites out of slavery and he could see the whole promised land. And I stood there and it dawned on me potentially for the first time that he was real. Now, you know that he's real and you believe the Bible is the infallible Word of God, but then you stand where somebody stood and you go, well, this person wasn't Jesus. They weren't fully man and fully God. They were just fully man. And this person who was just fully man led an entire nation out of slavery into the promises of God, eventually. And then I went and I went through Hezekiah's tunnel, who was a king that was so righteous. When an army besieged him, he was so righteous and fervently sought God that God sent an angel who battled, I think there's like 185,000 soldiers, one angel versus an army, delivered a nation because of a righteous king. And then I went to where David killed Goliath and I drove past the valley and like, that's where David ran down from that hillside to, to meet Goliath in the valley and, and killed him and delivered a nation. I'm like, man, there's somebody else who is 100% human. The Bible is littered with all these people that are 100% human, like 99.999% of the people in the Bible are 100% human. There, were, there's, there are no aliens in the Bible. They were all humans. The only person that talks in the Bible that wasn't a human was a donkey, and he was pretty close. Okay, so, so there's all these people, and I'm looking at these places, and these people were real, and they achieved something so incredible, but they were just like me, with the added difference that they poured all of themselves out, and I seemed to pour a portion of myself out for God. These were people that said, I'm gonna love the Lord my God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength, all of my spirit. I will pour myself out in my entirety for the pleasing pleasure, pleasure, for the goodness. We'll just go with that word. When you're writing something, you can't spell it and you look up in order, correct, and it says can't find replacement. You're like, oh, I'm that far off. You just think, what's another word? The, you just put that in. But these people, they poured themselves out before God and they did incredible things, but they were just like us, but they poured themselves out in their entirety. 
when I was in Israel, I was, I was in the spa pool in, in our hotel doing life hard. And I was there with a, with a friend that I made and his name was Jared, which gave me great pleasure because there were two Jareds. Okay, and that's all you need to become best friends with somebody. It's the same food or the same name or the same favourite colour when you're a guy. When girls are a little bit more complicated, I'm like, you like breathing? I like breathing. Let's be best friends. And he had the same personality mix as me. He was a youth pastor. He was incredibly loud. And, and so we just hung out together and the volume was just ginormous. I even convinced them to move our bed from one part of the hotel through the night and run it through to put it in their bedroom so we could have a sleepover party because that's what you do when you're a man. <laughs> sleepover party. So we're in the spa pool and then this massive guy, like my gosh, huge Orthodox Jewish businessman sits down in the spa, takes up the rest of the spa, and he's, he's spread out like this, and he begins speaking to us. And his name, I kid you not, his name, I'm trying to sound respectful here, but it was just funny at the moment, you know. His name was Mr. Goldstein. And he was a fish importer, fish importer, exporter. And his father was a success, successful Jewish rabbi. So we're in this bar and we're talking about different things, you know. And so then I go, like, I like to do with people, go, tell me, about, um, tell me about generosity from a Jewish point of view. Tell me about giving. Specifically, let's talk about tithing. I want to talk about tithing right now. Can we do that? And uh, how does that work from your point of view? First thing he told me was that Orthodox Jews believe you should tithe 20%, not 10%. We debated that for a while. I was like, oh, okay, let's just call it moving along. 10's good. And... Uh, so then I'm like, well, just, just talk about it. So then he says, well, let me ask you this. You've got $100. You've got $100, and so you give $10 to charity, $10 to the poor, and you keep $90 for yourself. How much money do you have left? Now, he's a Jew, and so the way Jews try to demonstrate intelligence is by asking hard questions. And so I can't think of a way to answer a question with a question. I'm just going to try and get it right. I didn't get it right, but I got close. I can tell you afterwards what I said. And uh, so he said, well, this is the answer. You give away $10 to charity. You keep $90. So what you have left is you have $10. And I'll like, well, explain the math to me on that, buddy. And uh, so, well, so you, you keep 90, but the 90 you eventually spend because it's got to go on your bills. It's got to go on your rent. It's got to go on your food. It's got to go on clothing. And it has to go on entertainment. So it's gone. It's there for a moment and then it's gone. But the $10 that you gave away now has eternal value before God. And so it's credited to you. Now that $10 is with you now for the rest of eternity. And that was his mindset, a Jewish mindset around generosity. When you look at you know, the wealthiest people in the world, most of them are Jews. And so you begin thinking, oh, well, this guy's really got a history of success to back up his point of view. But what I want to talk about is these words from Jesus, what you give away is what you get to keep. What you hold on is what you lose. Luke chapter 9 says this in verse 23. And Jesus is speaking. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? See, I believe the only way to have true significance in life, for our lives to have true meaning, to have true value, to have something of eternal purpose, is to lay our full life out before God. It's to, it's to go, God, I'm going to love you with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength, all of my spirit. I, I want to pour 
all that I am out at your feet. I love this story in the Bible where King David, he's at the caves, the stronghold of Adullam. And these, these caverns are huge. You can fit 200 to 300 men in a single cavern. And this place has got all these caverns. And, and he's there and he's there with his, his men, his warriors and his mighty men, his captains and his generals. And they're, they're there in these caves. And in the distance, they can see David's hometown of Bethlehem. And it's been overrun by Philistines. It's been, it's been taken over. So he is there, mighty David, and he is looking across at his own town where he grew up. And he can see these Philistines in his town taking his stuff and drinking his stuff. And he's looking at the wellspring by the city gate. He's like, that's my well. I grew up drinking from the well. Who do these guys think they are? They would come in, take my stuff, drink my water and have parties in my town. Imagine like for us, let's say hypothetically, we had a war with Australia, okay? And you end up being, and you're now hiding in Mount Oxford and you see all these Australians singing Waltzing Matilda in Rangura and drinking our stuff. That's what it was like for him. So he's like, this is not fair, you know? And so his mighty men are listening. And then David says, man, I would just give anything for a drink from my own well. And three of his mighty men overhear him. And so they just boost out of camp, begin sprinting across the sand. And the Philistines there are watching. They've got their, their frontline soldiers because they know David's men are over there. And they're like, oh, the army's advancing. Look at them. Wow, I imagine there'd be a lot more than three. And David's, David's watching and he'd be like, did we sound, did someone sound like the charge? Because I didn't say anything. Why are these three guys running across the sand? What are they doing? Are they having a running race? What, what is going on? And then the, the Philistines watching these three guys coming and they goes, man, these guys look pretty crazy. They got a wild look in their eyes. They got their swords out. They're screaming. We'll just kill them when they get here. It's no dramas. But these three guys were incredible warriors and they take on the army. They punch through the front line. They fight their way to the well. They capture the well for the moment. Two guys are probably defending the one guy who's gathering the water. They gather the water. They fight out. They sprint back to the cave. They're like, hey, David, we're back. And everyone's like, what were you doing? You guys are insane. What was that? And they said, oh, didn't you hear? King David was thirsty. And they're like, yeah, we've got water. We're not stupid. He goes, no, no, no. He wanted that brand of water. We've got like, like the good water's bottled in Kaiapoi. That's the stuff that he wanted. He wanted that bottle. And, and so they give it to David and David just looks at it and looks at them and is like, I, I can't drink this. I can't drink this. And this is what he's quoted as saying. Saying, God, surely this is the very blood of the men who risked their lives to get this for me. And he pours it out on the sand as a sacrifice to God. And, and David, David has this, you know, he knows that the only thing in life worth pouring yourself out for, worth having your sweat, your blood, your tears poured out for, is, is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He goes, I can't, that's not who I am, God. I'm not worthy of these guys to risk everything for my whims, God. That's not who I am. That's who you are. God, you're the only one that gives true significance. You're the only one that gives true meaning. You're the only one that brings fulfillment and restoration. You're the only one. I can't drink this. And he pours it out and the three guys are watching and they're like, 
oh, we just can't get a break with this guy. You know, well, what are you doing, man? That was really hard. And the one who's a little bit chubbier than the other two, I was like, I had to run really hard to get there. And I'm running back. And like, I went to have a sip because it was a long run. The other two looked at me. They're like, don't drink it. We've got to get him all of it. And, you know, we're trying to make sure I sweat didn't fall into it. And you just tipped it on the ground. David, but David knew. David knew. 100% of that is not in the Bible. Good portions of it are. But David knew the key to living the best life possible was to constantly, daily surrender every element of your life, the dysfunction of your life and the best parts of your life, to, to go, God, you know what, Lord? You've given me everything. Every good gift I have comes from you. So God, anything that you require from me is already yours. My finances, 100% of it belongs to you. My car belongs to you. My house belongs to you. My kids are dedicated to you. They belong to you. God, my dreams, my aspirations, my hopes and my desires, they belong to you. God, everything that I struggle with, you've already conquered. God, all my fears, you know what, God? I'm not gonna let them dictate my actions because I belong to you. One of the, the odd paradoxes that, that I, I don't understand is when Christians... Or when people become a Christian and they go, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I give all that I am to you. Lord, forgive me from my sins and heal me from my brokenness. And then they keep trying to live life as though it belongs to them and not belonging to Him. And we all have seasons when we do it. It's like we have this incredible encounter with God and He heals us or restores us and we have this life flowing through us and there's like the weight of our sins or our issues is lifted off and we go, God, all that I am is yours. And then over time, the, the, the memory of what He did and how much it meant to us when He bled on the cross begins to fade away and the realisation of it begins to drift to a distant memory and we begin to curl our hands up and we begin to hold on really tightly to what it was that we were originally offering to God with an open hand. We go, God, well, you know what? This is mine now. And, and then he begins to speak to us about things. And it's like this teased out process of him going, would you give me that? I've got so much more for you. If you would just pour that out, I could pour so much more in. And we have this, this dysfunctional connection because he goes, I gave you everything. And if you want to experience everything of me, you've got to give me everything of you. It's just like how marriage works. I don't go, Rihanna, babe, I'm going to give you all that I am. And she goes, you know what? I'll be your wife on Mondays, but the rest of the time, I'm just going to like live my own life and do my own thing. Like Life doesn't work like that. God gives all and we respond by giving all. When, when, we, when we go, God, I want to give my life to you, but I want to remain in the driver's seat. It's like people who sign up for the gym but then never go. You know, it's that same thing of go, oh, I've got access to it if I wanted to. I've got the thing that makes me look kind of cool and I got the branding, but in reality, nothing in our life actually changes. We don't get strength, we don't get healthy, we don't get a fitness, and we go, well, we just we just slide into this rhythm of a mediocre lifestyle that never changes the world because instead of pouring ourselves out before God, we poured out a few drops and we kept the respect for ourselves and it went stale. The way to have fulfillment in life is to constantly, daily, pick up our cross and go, God, whatever you ask from me. It's not going, God, how little can I give? It's going, God, the hard attitude is, Lord, what, what do I have that I could give you? 
What do I have that I can, that I can bless you with that I pour myself out? And I know that, that you pour yourself into me, but I don't pour myself out to get this. I pour myself out because of what you've already done. I don't give God so that I can receive. I give because you gave. And so many Christians, we, we, we walk around going, well, if I do this and God will bless me, I'm like, man, we're already blessed. You know, it's not about going, God, I want to do this so that you'll give me more. What else would we potentially possibly need? Like when you look at our life in the scope of eternity and you look at our community in the scope of eternity, what more would we possibly need to go, God, my entire life, everything that I am is, is laid out at your feet. If you were to do nothing else for me for the rest of my days, the fact that you call me your son, that I have salvation, that I have wholeness in you, I don't need anything else. It's only because you're a God of more than enough that you continue to bless me up and above what you've already done on the cross. When I was over there in Israel and I was having communion with a thing that Jesus was crucified and I was sitting down there with all these leaders and pastors and God began to give me a picture in my imagination. I saw this pond and I was, I was holding my communion but in, in my imagination, I could see really clearly this deep pond and I was in the middle of it and I was drowning. And I looked at the shore and Jesus was there and he was my big brother. Not Josh Van Burkle, like just Jesus. And in the picture, I was like, oh, you're my big brother, Jesus. And he saw me as his little brother drowning and he began running into the water yelling out, I'm going to save you. And I had this, this connection with the that, that heart of Christ on the cross looking to us going, I'm going to save you because you're my, you're my little brother and it's, it's something in me as your big brother that I will protect you and I will defend you and I will rescue you. You are the joy that was set before me. I am going to save you. And I began to reflect on the fact that Jesus, you know, He's not just like our brother. He's, he's our brother. He's our big brother. The firstborn of this great family of God. And he only went about his father's business. He says, I just go about my father's business. And I used to think that the father's business was like a to-do list. And then I had a picture of like the branding of it. And I was like, father and co. I was like, oh, it's like a company. And we're the co, we're the, the co-laborers with dad. And so I've, I've started recently praying to God and, and calling him dad. And for me, I... My, my dad passed away when I was 13. And so to call God dad was always really hard because my earthly dad had passed away and was in heaven. So whenever I just say dad and begin to pray, I get instantly a picture of my earthly dad that was in heaven. It was like my, my folks would just deviate and go, God, oh, I can't do that because I have this concern that like somehow my thoughts would begin to, track sideways and, I, and I'd speak to the wrong person. And God's really awesome. He's like, man, you, you overthink things way too much, bro. He's like, just relax. You know, if, if that happens, like you, you get a picture of your dad in your head, like, of course you're going to have that. You've got a name association for years, but it's okay. It'll get natural. And you're going to begin to see me, begin to picture me. And, I, and our team Thrive, I, I prayed for the first time in front of people out loud and just referred to God as dad. And, and the challenge for me is when I call him dad, I can't be anything else other than a son to be able to do that. When I call him God, I could be a servant, or I could be a slave to Christ. And that, you know, that awesome element is a part of our discipleship. 
But to call him dad, I, I have to be a son. I have to rise in myself to where he's placed me in heavenly places. And then the responsibility that goes with that privilege has to rise. And so recently I've been praying, hey, big brother, can you please teach me how to go about dad's business? Show me how to run dad's business the way he likes his company to be run. Because his business isn't making tables and chairs or iPhones. His business is the business of saving the world. And we're the co-laborers with them. Because, well, you know, the, the more you pour your life out, the more God can pour in. And, and in pouring your life out, that's, that's the way we save the world. That's the way the Father runs his business. Jesus was the ultimate example of, I, I run my life in line with my Father's business. I pour my life out, every drop of who I am, every ounce of my energy, my life, my soul, my grace given for the will of the Father, the good and perfect, pleasing will of Dad. And and I want to encourage you this morning that all growth is growth. All progress is progress. You don't need to look at life at the moment and have like a sense of like, man, what am I doing, man? I'm such a terrible Christian. No, God says you're amazing. He's like our number one cheerleader. He's ecstatic with who we are as his kids. But I also feel like saying, you know what, if you want to, you want to be a part of my business, then begin to ask me, Dad, what do you want me doing? Or what do I have in my life that you want me to give over to you? What elements of me do you want me to surrender and put back at your feet? What have I taken back that originally I gave to you that I would have that fulfillment and significance and freedom that comes with living a life that is totally poured out, that I would pick up my cross daily, that I would truly live? I want to be a part of my Father's business in saving the world. What else do I have that I could give to you, that I could pour out? I'd like everybody to close your eyes if you could. And I'm just going to do two things. I just want to give a moment right now for anyone in the room that isn't currently walking in relationship with Jesus that you don't have Jesus as your big brother. You don't have the security of your salvation, of that acceptance of knowing, man, I'm fully connected in to the family of God that I have salvation, I have freedom, I've got forgiveness for my sins. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, is while everyone has their eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And then as as a... physical sign to yourself and to God while everyone has their eyes closed, I'm then going to ask you to stand. And while you're standing just in your rows, I'm going to pray for you here over the microphone. So if that's you this morning, and you got your eyes closed and you know that you just need to you want to receive the forgiveness that Jesus has on offer. You want to you just go, God, I, I want that. I don't want to just live life for myself. I've tried that and it doesn't have meaning. It's meaningless. I want, I want the purpose and the freedom of who you are. I want connection. I want safety. I want wholeness. I want to belong. I want the significance. I want closeness with you. I want to be loved. I want to be a part of who you are. If that means giving you all of who I am to get all of who you are, that's the best deal I've ever heard in my life. And I get to experience the goodness of who you are for all of eternity. God, I want your salvation of that you, then just right now, I just want to encourage you, just raise your hand while everyone else has your eyes closed going, God, I want you. God, I want your freedom. God, I want your salvation. God, I want to be 
totally connected with you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God, I just thank you for your spirit just moving right now, just touching people that are you calling into yourself, people that you are calling home, people that you're calling into relationship with you. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you're in the room right now just calling people to yourself. This would be the best decision that you would ever make. Thank you, Jesus. For any more information on this sermon or any additional resources, visit us at thrivechurch.co.nz.